Eons past, a monstrous hybrid of land and marine reptiles was sealed into a state of suspended animation, slumbering through the fall of dinosaurs and the rise of man. But awakened by an undersea nuclear test, the creature returned to life, now breathing the fires of radiation. Stan Lee presents Godzilla, King of the Monsters! The Comic Book Time Machine presents Marvel's Cosmic Comics, exploring Marvel's licensed sci-fi and fantasy during the Star Wars period. Episode 57, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, issue number 10, Godzilla vs. Yetrigar. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comic Book Time Machine presenting Marvel's Cosmic Comics. I'm Ben, Ben Avery, once again here to talk about a pop cultural icon who made a little trip into the Marvel 616 universe. And that pop cultural icon is, of course, Bigfoot and Godzilla. Now, let me explain. I mean, the the title of the series is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. So there's got to be some other monsters that Godzilla can be the king of, right? And who better than Bigfoot? Now, yes, the name of the creature is Yetrigar. And little little Kenny, well, he's not actually Kenny. He's named Rob, but he is the Kenny of the series. He calls it out and says that creature is just like a Yeti. Or a Yetrigar, as we call it, where I come from. And that's where we get the name. But it gets called out as Sasquatch earlier. I mean, they, they, they talk about this guy. He is Bigfoot. He's a really big Bigfoot. Well, how does he get that way? Well, it's funny you should ask, because I'm about to talk about that right now. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story of Godzilla versus Yetrigar, round one. Or at least the first part of round one. I'm not sure how many rounds their battle is actually going to go and they don't actually finish their battle. They kind of just pause at the end for our cliffhanger. Now Godzilla number 10 uh, hit the stands February 2nd, 1978 has the cover date of May, 1978 as, as all the other books that we're covering in this uh, month of, of coverage. You can just call me captain redundancy, or you could also just call me, captain guy who repeats himself in words um anyway the writer doug mensch the penciler herb trimpey the inker fred Keita, the letterer john costanza the colorist mary titus and it has been reprinted in essential godzilla trade paperback all that information is available to you from mike's amazing world of comics now the reprinted in i could have told you because that's how i'm reading it i'm reading it in black and white in this essential edition but anyway uh, the story picks up right on the aftermath of last issue where Godzilla, uh, well, Godzilla went to Las Vegas. And what happened in Vegas stayed in Vegas. And what happened in Vegas was a whole lot of destruction. Godzilla's on his way out. He is now being followed by the shield helicarrier, the behemoth, which is great big giant helicarrier that's big enough to 
hold hold Godzilla in the in the hold. Um, I really need to work on learning new words, maybe, so I'm not just repeating the other words that I'm saying. But anyway, they're they're following him, and Dum Dum and Gabe are having their philosophical differences, not just about the monster, you know, because Gabe is a monster lover. And Dum Dum just wants to destroy Godzilla. But they also have philosophical differences about the area they're passing over, which had some underground nuclear tests. And in these underground nuclear tests, uh, Gabe says, you know, who knows what 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 problems this caused? And Dum Dum says, oh, don't tell me you're you're anti-national defense, too. You don't even want us. You know what 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 possible harm could a bomb test do? And then we flash back to the answer. There was that bomb test three months ago in that very spot that they are flying over right then. That test then triggered an underground seismic fault line. And that underground seismic fault line went all the way from, I think, Arizona into Alberta, Canada. Now, along that fault line in Alberta, Canada, in the mountains, there was a cave. And inside that cave, there was a Bigfoot, a Sasquatch, an abominable Snowman, a Yeti, a Yetrigar, if you will. And it broke loose the ice that had held him in suspended animation. And as this creature came out of the ice, came out of the cave, the radiation that traveled along the fault line. Now, go with me. Uh, the science may not work, but you know what? This is a Godzilla comic book, not National Geographic or discovery channel or whatever so as bigfoot leaves the cave he grows and grows and grows and grows and you get the idea he's big he's giant he is now a kaiju the flashback over we come back to gabe jones who answers dub dub dugan's question what on earth or below it, could a lousy bomb test do? The answer is nobody knows. Nobody knows, dum-dum. Nobody knows. Then, Bigfoot attacks. As they're flying over, they're following Godzilla. Bigfoot comes, he marched all the way down from Alberta into Arizona. He picks up a giant rock, throws it at the helicarrier, the, hits the helicarrier, the helicarrier the giant behemoth helicarrier, crashes. So they are no longer on the trail of Godzilla, but something else is on the trail of Godzilla, that is. And that would be Yetrigar, Bigfoot. Bigfoot attacks Godzilla. They fight. But meanwhile, Jimmy Woo is a-wooing. He's wooing Rob's sister, and they're both supposed to be watching Rob, because Rob is the little kid who, you know, snuck onto the Red Ronin robot, connected with it so no one else could, and then used it to let Godzilla escape. So they're telling him, you got to stay away from it. You're, you know, you, this is your consequence. You got to time out from your giant robot. Well, he doesn't care. He sneaks away from them because they're lost. They're, they're lost in each other's eyes. And... He sees that as his chance. They're going to put Red Ronin away. They're carting the, the robot away to get put into storage so they can fix it. He sneaks onto the thing, 
up to the 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 control room in the head, and you know what he's going to do, right? He's heard that that Godzilla was in this this place called Las Vegas, so he flies away and steals Red Ronin again. So the fight scene that's going on, it's a pretty cool fight scene. It's a fun fight scene. It's drawn just it's a it's a well drawn, energetic two giant monsters just slamming into each other. Godzilla bites Yetrigar punches and grabs and they they're in the Grand Canyon and they're rolling around on the river and it's just a, a nice massive heavy monstrous fight of course the fight stops when Red Ronin flies down and, and interrupts the battle and both the creatures look up at Red Ronin Red Ronin has Rob in it and Rob is thinking you know holy smokes their trail was easy to follow but who would have thought it would lead to this just look at him like the legends of the giant yeti from the snow mountains of our homeland they're called Yetrigar but this one's no legend this Yetrigar is real alive and he wants to kill Godzilla next issue <laughs> I really enjoy this the epic battle of three giant gladiators in the only arena that could do them justice. The Grand Canyon, Godzilla, Yetrigar, and Red Ronin. Plus, the parallel struggle of four hapless humans in Titans Times 3. <clears throat> now, you know, this is just the first half of, of this story. And I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> uh, it might not come as any surprise to anyone who's listening right now. This is the kind of Godzilla story I like. But not only that, then you're you're taking Godzilla. You've got monster fighting action. You've got current event issues with the nuclear testing and the effects of nuclear testing on the environment that we don't even know about. And then you also throw in a dash of what's really popular out there right now, kids. Bigfoot. Yes, this is the 70s. This is the Bigfoot craze. This is, uh, you know, in the 70s, the Bigfoot craze was kind of at, at the fever pitch, I guess. Um, you had television shows about it. You had the $6 million man did an episode. I think it was October 77. Uh, you know, it's it's quite possible that that did influence this a little bit. You had this show and I do not know anything about this show, but I was looking up just some examples of, of what was going on in pop culture with Bigfoot. There is this TV show called Bigfoot and wild boy from 1977. I never got to see this show. I, I, you know, I missed it. I was three. So it actually is possible that I did see it and I just don't remember it. Um, but it's about a Bigfoot who found an infant who raised that child, and that's Wild Boy. And then they are going on adventures and, and helping people. Um, it's a Sid and Marty Croft, I think, uh, show. But I had never, ever heard of this so far as I knew. I watched the beginning credits of this thing, and oh my goodness, this is 70s cheese, just gold. It's it's wonderful. Uh I don't know if the episodes will stand up to the wonderfulness that the credits gave me. I don't know if I'm ever going to try and track down any episodes or anything like that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's any kind of release at all. And then to spend money, I don't know. But on YouTube, I did watch the credits and wow. <laughs> so there's that happening. Uh, Leonard Nimoy's show In Search Of did uh, a segment on Bigfoot. And then you had, you know, 10 years earlier, what kind of launched 
these sightings into the popular consciousness. You had that one film with Bigfoot and that, so that's getting played on TV on shows like that's incredible and, and things like that, where they're, they're talking about Bigfoot and, you know, seventies is a perfect time where, you know, the pop culture is there with movies and TV shows. Cause there's a handful of movies in the seventies too about Bigfoot. But then you also had the information uh, being spread through these, you know, a wider reach for network television and, you know, drive-in theaters and all that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it just, <laughs> they're, they're just capitalizing on a craze. That's what you do when you're doing pop culture bubblegum, when you're doing throwaway entertainment, which is what a 35 cent comic really is meant to be in some ways is you read it and you get rid of it. It is not meant to be, uh, you know, slabbed into a, a poly bag or reprinted in a book like this for forever, you know, but that's what happened. You know, these things, these are cultural or pop cultural artifacts. And yeah, so here we have Godzilla fighting Bigfoot. Now, the other thing that Yetrigar reminds me of though, is, is Frankenstein or the war of the gargantuas, which has that human figure who's just kind of covered in hair. And then finally, the other thing that this issue reminds me of, especially in the fighting is Godzilla versus King Kong. The, uh, that first movie, uh, now, I heard they're doing a, a reboot. They're going to take the new Godzilla, uh, the new American Godzilla, that is, and do some sort of Godzilla versus King Kong big budget sci-fi summer blockbuster. I don't know what that's going to be like. I heard about this a while ago that they were thinking about this, and my, my imagination just goes to, you know, what if it was Godzilla versus a hundred King Kongs? that aren't any taller than his knee or maybe even not even taller than his ankle. There could be some cool possibilities there, but uh, just I'm imagining the Bigfoot's crawling all over and trying to, you know, tear him apart and punch and all those kind of things. But I, I don't know. I, I don't see how that's really going to work well as a successful big budget summer blockbuster. I could be proven wrong, but I was reminded of that original Godzilla versus King Kong, which is one of the first Godzilla movies that I ever saw. I actually might be the first. I just remember watching it on Saturday afternoon a couple different times in the summer uh, with my dad and just laughing and laughing and laughing and having a lot of fun with with it. That's a fun, fun movie to watch. And so this reminded me of that a little more seriously, though. They're, they're taking the fight a little more seriously. It's it's a brutal knockdown drag out fight. It's it's enjoyable and and well drawn, and the Godzilla that they have, he does not look like any Godzilla on the film that I've ever seen. Like I've said before, but he has retained the the model. They have stayed on target, and he has not changed in look to become more like something from the movies. He still looks like this Marvel Comics Godzilla, and you know I've kind of grown to appreciate the big guy looking like that. So the other things that this takes on, like I said, is some some sociological issues, the nuclear testing fears. Um, not that this is actually possible. I mean, that's what, you know, the original Godzilla was building on, too, was, you know, you had this radiation or these nuclear testings and the radiation actually killed people on some fishing boats. Well, that that became the inspiration for the first few scenes of the Godzilla movie, the original Godzilla movie. And the, the, the nuclear testing is what, you know, brought this creature to life. And so, yeah, this is not possible. No one 
is saying that there's going to be this giant monster. No, the, the giant monster is a metaphor for Godzilla. In Godzilla's case, anyway, the giant monster is a metaphor for the destruction that the nuclear testing and that the actual usage of nuclear bombs brought upon Japan. In this case, with Yetrigar, this kind of becomes a representation of Gabe's answer to Dum Dum's question about the nuclear testing. And that is that nobody knows what the repercussions is. Nobody knows what the consequences of doing this will be. These There's going to be unintended consequences. There's going to be unknown consequences. These are things that we can't measure how this affects things, you know, and, and the far-reaching effects of it. And I'm not sure if this is also uh, a part of this, but the the th- the way it travels from Nevada to Alberta, uh, from from our desert to the mountains of Canada, which eh, you got to go with it. You either go with it or you don't. And this is one of those things where I'm I'm going to go with it, but I'm going to go with it a little grudgingly, I guess. But the the far-reaching effects of this test. And I'm not sure when they started realizing that there was um, stuff, uh, you know, radiation and, and, and stuff with, with like the acid rain that was coming, you know, pollution causing acid rain in Canada. Uh, I remember it, for me, it was in, in the middle eighties after I had moved back to the States and I found out I was reading some article in Time magazine or Newsweek magazine in my social studies class. And the article was about acid rain in Canada that was caused by pollution in the United States. And it bothered me. It bothered me a lot, mainly because I I lived up in the woods in Canada and it was gorgeous. It's beautiful. The evergreen trees. And I, I, I loved where we lived. I wasn't a mountain man or anything like that where, you know, I just would go out and and chop down trees and, and whittle wood and stuff like that. No, I was I was still a soft, a soft, soft, geeky little boy living out in those woods. But I I love the land. And and when I found out about this acid rain, it really made me made me angry. And so I don't know if when they started realizing that there was this acid rain happening. I, I know acid rain is something that they've known about for a long, long time. I'm just not sure when they started realizing that it was the United States that was polluting Canada. But I can't help wondering if some of that idea, we got this thing happening in Nevada that affects something up in Alberta, if that is re- referencing some of that acid rain kind of thing. And if at the very least, it is definitely referencing that you do things here, it affects things everywhere. And I'm not saying that it affects, you know, global warming and all that kind of thing. I am saying though that we are a global community and little things can have far-reaching, much much further-reaching consequences than are intended. I don't think anyone set out to, you know, create pollution that was going to kill a forest, you know, way out in Canada. Uh no one intended to do that. But once they realized it was starting to happen, you know, then you have to figure out, well, what do we do about it now? Because we're dependent on, on these things that we're creating. So these are definitely questions of, of environmentalism and stuff that we're being asked here in this book. And, you know, I don't know how deep they intended to go with this, but it made my thoughts go pretty deep. Now, there's also the idea of some pretty ridiculous coincidence 
happening here. Uh, three months ago, a test just happened to take place where Godzilla is right now. And Bigfoot apparently uh, followed the trail of radiation to get there at that very moment that that Big G was going to get there. Uh, yeah, again, you got to go with it or you don't. And I'm willing to go with it because of where it takes me to a pretty cool fight in the Grand Canyon. So, yes, and it's something that big fight in the Grand Canyon. It's far better than a lot of fights that take place out in the wilderness in a Godzilla movie or <clears throat> King Kong lives. Whew. You know, King Kong lives actually had some scenes and settings that were similar to this with their giant, you know, gorilla people in gorilla suits. And I'll take this any day over King Kong lives, but King Kong lives is one of those movies that if you've listened to this at it for any length of time, you know, I like cheesy stuff. I like bad movies. Uh, but King Kong lives is not the kind of bad movie that I really, really like now. I, I am trying to think of what would I, if, if someone needed me to watch it for a podcast to, to talk about it, maybe I'd watch it again, but I can't imagine really any reason other than as a personal favor to somebody why I would watch this movie again. Oh, King Kong lives. Oh, so horrible. Oh, I need to do something else to, to get my mind off of that. Let's, let's get back to the comic here. Um, this is the first half of a story. And so I'm, I'm not going to judge it yet, but I'm enjoying this first half. The only thing I'm worried about is I look forward to Godzilla number 11 is that Red Ronin is involved. Red Ronin is so cool on the outside, but you know what they say? It's what's inside that counts. I mean, going back even into the Bible with David, when he was going to be anointed king and, and the prophet Samuel said, you look on the outside, but God looks at the heart. And the heart of Red Ronin is a little boy named Rob, the Kenny, air quotes, Takaguchi. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. Can the next chapter transcend the awfulness that Rob could bring? Or even better, will Rob surprise me? And actually start endearing himself to me, which would be wonderful because that would solve a lot of problems with this comic uh, series for for me anyway. So I just want to end my coverage of this comic with with a quote from Dum Dum Dugan that I really, really enjoyed. Uh, you know, Dum Dum, he's just. He's Dum Dum Dugan. You know, what can you say? He, he's just got this abrasive personality and yet. There's something about him that you just kind of enjoy. He's the kind of guy that I, I just like to hang out with, but I wouldn't want to be on his bad side. After the behemoth crashes, Dum uh, Dum Dugan is standing outside shaking his fists. Uh, the Sasquatch Yetragar is running off and he says to the people who are, who are running, running out of the behemoth to join him, don't just stand there helpless, you lame brain yahoos. Least you can do is start cussing like me. And of course, they don't show him cussing, but you know, he's just that type of guy. So anyway, that's that's where I'm going to end here with the Godzilla and the uh, the next 
next segment of, of this coverage for May 1978 is going to be Human Fly number nine. So we'll see if I retain my good mood after reading that one, because that one was not headed in a good direction. And I don't know if uh, the addition of Daredevil is going to help it be uh, really that much better. So until next time, all I really have to say is thanks for listening. I'd love to hear from you. Hear your thoughts on the Godzilla series or any of these things that we're talking about. And Godspeed. Thanks for listening to the Comic Book Time Machine's Marvel's Cosmic Comics feed. You can find more discussion of many, many more comics like Superman and Spider-Man, What Ifs and Elseworlds, The Six Million Dollar Man and Batman, comics seven days old and seven decades old, on our main feed, which you can find on iTunes or at comicbooktimemachine.com. We'd also love it if you join us on Facebook at facebook.com or on Twitter, where we are at Comic Time. Next episode, The Human Fly, number nine. The Fly and the White Tiger team to save a paralyzed city and stop the sinister Copperhead. Doomsday dawns at night. Extra special guest star, Daredevil. <laughs>